This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. again let's turn our bibles to luke chapter 15 and we're actually going to stay in this chapter all morning pretty much um, we have been doing this series this last little while called once upon a time and we have been talking about a few of the parables of jesus we're certainly not going to get through all of them as i've been mentioning there's anywhere between 28 and 61 different parables depending on how you uh, categorize them and count them some of them are duplicated in some of the different gospels um, but what the parables of Jesus are is as a way of Jesus teaching using stories, um, not just using laws or uh, specific things that we would have to do, but many times there would be a situation or a circumstance and he would say, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. And it wasn't necessarily a parable of somebody he actually knew. Sometimes he would just make up a story to try to get a point across. And just this way of teaching, we are actually very used to. Um, if you don't like to read fiction, generally speaking, most of us like to watch movies and then when we go to watch movies, there's certain movies that will maybe capture our heart in certain different ways that we can learn something or we can learn something about ourselves. Or the reason we tell uh, bedtime stories to our children is we want them to learn something. There's usually a hero in the story or there's a moral of the story. Or there's a person in the story who does something well. And so you want your child to emulate that person. And there's somebody maybe who doesn't do something well. And you're, you're trying to teach your child not to be that person. In, in the movies that we go uh, to like to the movies that we like to watch that we see people spending many dollars there's a hero in the movie there's superheroes in the movie and a lot of times we want to be the superhero and this is the why uh, Jesus used stories to try to teach us something and so we have been looking at a bunch of different things and as we have been uh, saying that parables can teach us a lot of different things they can give us a revelation of God they can teach us about exemplary behavior they can teach us about wisdom, life before God, final judgment, human conduct, and the practical application of that. And we learn a lot about the kingdom of God as it relates to the parables. The first week we talked about this idea of seeds. And really we talked about the first week about why Jesus told us why he taught in parables. And then we talked about the mustard seed, how the mustard seed is small, but then it, it can produce um, big results in our life. So if you've missed any of these messages, you can catch up online through our podcast and also through our church app. And then the second week, we talked about the joy of repentance. Why, when we understand what repentance is, it is actually a joyful thing. And there was a parable that went along with that. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about persisting in prayer, that God doesn't want us to lose heart, that he actually wants us to persist in prayer. And then last week, we talked about talents, the talents in, and abilities or endowments that God has given you as an individual. And then we looked at a parable that taught us um, the attitude that God has towards those gifts and talents and then what he wants to do with those. And then today we're going to talk about a same type of idea. Last week we emphasized this idea of adopting this attitude that God has towards our talents. And then today we want to talk about adopting the attitude that God has towards other people. Do you love other people? <laughs> Do you love other people that you watch on the news? Do you love other people that have a different political persuasion than you? Do you love other people that sin differently than you? Do you love 
other people that are just different in you in general. You know, we kind of really have this love-hate towards relationship towards people. And even the ones that we call our loved ones, a lot of times they irritate us, don't they? I mean, they are our loved ones. This is the name we give them. And then some days we're kind of like, oh, I might actually hate you today. I'm not enjoying your presence. I'm not enjoying who you are to me. Here we are. At, it's, it's Palm Sunday, the, the week before Easter. Is you've, did anybody grow up in a church that you brought palm branches to church? Bless our hearts, right? We still made it through. <laughs> the, that group that welcomed Jesus and said, Hosanna, was the same group a week later that said, crucify him. And this is a little bit our relationship with people. It is this, this up and down thing because humans are just like us. They have issues, they have problems, they have different things, and then it becomes hard sometimes to love other people. And then other people can just become sort of an irritant to our lives. They can just sort of get in the way. Next Sunday, we're going to have a lot of people here at the church because it's Easter Sunday, and there's going to be a lot of people show up, and maybe they're going to show up because somebody invited them. There's other people that are going to show up out of religious obligation. They're going to show up for a lot of different reasons, and then some of them might actually sit in your favorite seat. And not know that it's your favorite seat. Are you going to be irritated that a person who doesn't usually go to church has shown up at our church and they're sitting in your favorite seat and they're just going to make it harder for you next week. They're going to make it harder for you next week to find a parking spot and, and to find a seat. So are they just kind of in our way? Are people just in our way? Are people in our way at church? You know, maybe this is... Maybe this is all the amount of people that we need at our church. You know, there's a lot of extra seats right now. You have, you have enough buffer zone, you know, between you and the people that you don't know or the people that you don't like. And so you got a seat or two in there. But what if all the seats were filled this morning? Is that, is that irritating to you? Do, do you have to then go find another church that doesn't have as many people in it? Because, you know, people is just an issue at church. So many people, all the place, people in the, you know, mom, there's people in my house, there's people at my job, there's people at church, it's just kind of in the way sometimes. But we're going to look at a couple different parables this morning, all found in the same chapter. And it, what Jesus deals with in this chapter is, is once again, what is our attitude towards people? And as we talked about last week, we, we need to and should want to adapt the attitude that God has towards our gift. And we should want to have the same attitude that God has towards people. So let's start reading here this morning in Luke chapter 15. In verse 1 it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Receives them and eats with them. See, this was very offensive to the religious people of their time who were um, very proud of their education, their religious education, and very proud of their personal holiness, their, their own personal avoidance of sin by creating all of these systems of laws to make sure that they didn't break any of the laws of God in the Old Testament. And so not only did they know the laws and that studied them extensively and had them memorized, but they had this pride that went along with knowing those laws and keeping those laws. And here's this group of people there, these two different types of people 
that are there with Jesus. And, and who's the, the first group? It's like the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing closer to Jesus. The people that were nothing like, nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. Jesus had no sin, never sinned in his life. But then people who were distant from that way of life, that they were, ta- they were, this was their name, this was their designation, they were sinners. But they were coming close to Jesus. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, and that's a little bit of a challenge for us today in the church. Do people who are far from God, who know that we are Christ followers, are, because of how we carry ourselves, are, do they not want to be around us? Because of how we act and what we say? Or, or should we be a little bit more like Jesus, that people who are actually far from God actually don't mind being around us? Not that Jesus was partaking of their sin. Jesus wasn't um, hanging out with the sinner so that he could be sinful. We know that he was the sinless lamb of God. But somehow for us today in the church, just people are really irritated by our presence. I think a lot of it, a lot of times, is how we are acting. And how, it's how our, the attitude that we have towards people that are different than us. So we have this group of people there. They have these sinners and tax collectors. And then we have this other group of people, this religious group of people, self-righteous group, who had all the knowledge of the scripture, keeping themselves far away, apparently, from sin. And then they were irritated that Jesus was hanging out with these people, that he was hanging out with the sinners and then eating with them, which is a very intimate thing in this culture, um, that, you, that you would be close to someone. The reason that you would show you're going to be close to someone is you would hang out with them and eat with them. This was a very intimate thing. The Pharisees were irritated by this idea. So in this scene, in the middle of this context, in the middle of this um, group who are virtually, supposedly, on two polar opposite places of life, the sinful group and then this very religious group. So in this context, Jesus is about to give us some stories. He's going to teach us something through parable. And let's look at what he taught us. Verse 3 says, So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus tells them this story, which made a tremendous amount of sense in this time. Like we said previously, that a lot of these parables that Jesus gave were around in and around Mediterranean life. And here was a a parable that he was giving about someone who was a shepherd. If he has a shepherd, if he has a bunch of sheep, there's a hundred, but he's got 99, and then one is missing, so he's counting. He knows how many people are there, how many sheep are there, and then he's missing one. And in that moment, what does he do? He's like, ah, we got 99, we're good. What What is Jesus illustrating with the sheep? He's illustrating people. He's not actually talking about sheep. He's talking about people. 
And so what, what is the attitude that the shepherd has about the people that's illustrated through the sheep? We got 99, we're good. We don't, we don't need that one. That one's not that important. We got 99 other sheep here. We got 99 other people. We're missing the one, no big deal, not that important. It's a pretty good ratio. It's a good percentage. It's almost, it's almost everybody. Why are we worried about that one that isn't here? We have all of these other people. We have all of these other sheep. And so what does Jesus tell us that the shepherd does? The shepherd goes out and looks for the sheep. That the shepherd is interested in finding the sheep that's lost, the one that isn't there. See, and this is the way we need to think about church. That church is the one entity in the world that exists for the people that aren't there. The church exists for the people that aren't here yet. It isn't actually just about us and our comfort in our seats and our beautiful building that God has given us. That what we do as a church is actually all about people. It's all about the sheep and the story. And I am so thankful that you are here and I'm glad you're here this morning so that we can worship together and lift up the name of Jesus. But we all should know that we actually have a job and our job isn't done yet. The fact that we're sitting here is good and it's wonderful, but there are lost sheep in our city. There are sheep that are out wandering in your neighborhood and in my neighborhood that, uh, that are distant from God, that are separated from God for a thousand and one different reasons that we can never understand or fathom. But what does it say in the story about the shepherd? Is the, is the shepherd just thankful for the 99 or, or is he going out and searching for the lost one, the missing one? Like I said, next Sunday, we're going to have a bunch of people show up. And a bunch of them are going to be lost sheep. Are we going to scowl at them? They're going to be sitting in our favorite seat. We're going to stand over them and sigh. (sighs) True story. In a church we went to one time. There was a couple that had been in this church forever, and they had a specific pew that they were before there were chairs. There was pews. They went out pews are. So they were sitting in their pew, their pew. I mean, it was their pew. You know what I'm saying? It was theirs. I mean, the outprint, the imprint of their, you know, posterior was actually in the pew. That's how many times they had sat there. And one day someone... A new person didn't know this was their pew, sat in their pew. True story. This is not a joke, people. The woman of this couple came and sat right on this person's lap. True stories, church life. I'm just telling you. Why? Because this person, this person upset the apple card. This person was an irritation to her church experience. People are not an irritation to church experience. People are what church is for. This is why we're here. This is why we're here lifting up the name of Jesus. This is why we're here talking about the Savior, Jesus. So that we're not just satisfied with the 99 that are here. We know that there is somebody Lost, And so every Sunday we have this idea that this might be somebody's first Sunday 
at church. Somebody who's disconnected, a a lost sheep, a, a person who's wandered away from the herd for whatever reason. That this might be God drawing somebody back home. And like I said, Easter, we got a lot of people we just know. We know people come to church on Easter for a thousand and one different reasons. Some, and you could be irritated with that idea. Well, they're just coming because they feel like they should. Hey, at least they're going to be here. And we're going to preach the gospel to them and we're going to sing about Jesus. Why? Because God is seeking after them. The story tells us. And God is wanting us to adapt, to adopt This attitude that the shepherd has, I got the 99, but I'm going to find that one that's lost. Parents, what if you have multiple children and you're hurting your children in the car and you're missing one and you say to your wife, we got most of them, don't worry about it. (laughs) Would that be okay? No, and this, this story is about sheep, but it's not about sheep, it's about people. And, you know, our, our church is growing and continuing to grow. And if we continue to grow, we're going to have to probably add a third service at some point. Or we might have to knock out this back wall and add more seats. Or we might actually have to move to a new building one day because there's a lot of lost sheep. And, and will that be, will you have to find a new church at that time? Because there's just too many people here. No church is for people. And it's not about being big for the sake of being big, or it's not about being big for the sake of saying we're bigger than some other church. No, church actually exists for other people. Church exists for the lost sheep. That God is drawing to himself, that God is actually actively seeking the ones that are lost. He loves us, and he loves the church, and he's glad that you're lifting up his name, but there are others that aren't here, and he's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with the just us. What does it say? He, he goes, and the, it goes after in the lost until he finds it. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he finds the lost sheep, does he kick it? And he's angry with it, and he's disgusted with it. No, what does he do? He, he picks up the sheep, and he lays the sheep on his shoulders. Should this be our attitude? Well, people who are lost, I think that's the point of the parable. Not disgusted with people that are far from God. Not irritated with someone who doesn't know the scripture. Who doesn't know about Jesus. No, what is God doing? God is seeking after them. Lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. This is the greatest thing that we will be able to celebrate as a church family, ever. I'm glad that your prayers get answered. I'm I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm so glad when we hear about God's provision. I'm so glad when somebody gets healed. That's a wonderful thing. Don't, don't, aren't you excited about that? But the greatest thing is this. The greatest thing when somebody who's far from God, disconnected from God, gets reconnected, gets set back up in the kingdom of God, that discovers their purpose of God, that their, their life is actually intended for a relationship with God. This is the thing that God is telling us in the story. What is he doing? We're going to call all our friends and we're going to rejoice that this person is here and has come home 
not irritated they sat on our seat, not irritated that they made it hard for me to park, to park next week. I, I'm excited for the week after Easter because then all the, all the pretenders will be gone. And I can have my buffer zone again. Now, I think we need to uh, uh, let this attitude go deep in our hearts. Verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus is telling us another story. Okay, here's a sheep and you're missing a sheep. You're going to go find the sheep. And then here we have a woman who's lost a silver coin. Now, this silver coin was something that women would wear on their head that would rep- represent their marital status. And a lot of times it would represent the dowry that their father had given them. To be able to be married successfully and, you know, have a good family life. And then so this thing that their, their father had given them to help them in their marriage had gone missing. And anything for women in and around their marital status is very important. And so what are they going to do? They're going to they're go and we're going to look for this thing. It's really, this thing is really important to me. This thing is really important to me. But this story is not about a thing. This parable is about people. This isn't a story about lost coins. It is a parable about people. And once again, the God group, the church, exists for the people that actually aren't there. The people that are disconnected, what, are we, what, what, what is God's attitude? Well, he, he's looking for them. He's interested in them. He's glad that we're here. He's glad that we're lifting up his name. He's glad that we're serving one another and loving one another, all things that we see in the scripture. But God is on this continual search for people that are far from him. And this is the attitude that Jesus is trying to get across to us. Why? Because there's two groups of people there that Jesus is talking to. There's a a sinner group of people that are far from God. And then there's this other group, this religious group. Which, if you've been in church for any period of time, potentially it could be us. Potentially it could be us. That he's trying to get a point across to this group that is there that's a little bit self-righteous and a little bit angry that Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. That these people are actually important. These people that you're disgusted with in the heart and mind of God are actually really important. He's seeking after them. The people that you don't like for a lot of different reasons, God is seeking after them. God is searching for them like a missing sheep or a lost coin. And then Jesus Gives us another parable. This is what parable we call the prodigal son. And once again, man, moving into Easter. Don't, don't we all hope there's a lot of prodigal sons coming in our building next week? Isn't this what we want? This is what we want. This is why we're here. 
to talk about Jesus. To talk about Jesus, who was our Savior and our Lord. Here Jesus now is going to bring it home. It's like, hey, there's sheep, there's coins. But if you don't understand that, I'm going to tell you a story about two sons. And he said there was a, a man who had two sons. Everybody say two sons. We just focus on the one a lot of times, but there's two sons. And Jesus talks about both of these sons in this story for a reason. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The younger son, and this was before anything was ever written about birth order books. And then we have that younger child. They're kind of just a little bit crazy. Does anybody have a family that the younger child, I was the younger child, was maybe a little bit crazy. And then the older child was like, you know, they're going to keep everything in order. They're going to run the household. They're going to be responsible. But then the younger child, they just get away with everything, don't they? The, the younger children, they just, they just do crazy stuff. Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, between the two sons, not just the younger son, but both sons were getting the inheritance ahead of time. So the younger son was coming to the father. Who is the father in the story? The father is God. He's coming to the father and says, Father, God, I don't actually want you. I just want your stuff. And I want the, the stuff that you give me in the world. And I'm just going to do my own thing. I actually don't need you. I don't want you. I just want the stuff in the world. Give me my inheritance. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living, just wasted his life. Has anyone ever done that? Or has anyone ever heard about somebody that has done that? Just reckless living. They wasted money and they wasted their life and they wasted their body, just, which is a certain way of living. And this is, listen, man, this is something we are, the world has not changed, everybody. This is the exact same world that we live in. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this is his practice speech. So this is how he's going to get right with his father. He's going to, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to figure this out. He's got servants and so I'm going to come and I'm going to try to, to make myself righteous before my father. And he arose and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What did the father do when he just saw his son just in the distance? He had compassion on him. And what did he do? He ran towards him and kissed him. Before he knew anything about what the son had done and wasted his life. He made this turn towards the father and the father ran towards him. Is this our attitude about people? 
that show up at church and who are maybe distant from God? Or are we a little bit standoffish? And we're like, you know, I got to figure it out. I got to figure out what their sin is before I can be their friend. I got to figure out what's wrong with them first. And then I'll, I'll find out if I can actually be their friend. You know, what is the attitude of God in the story that for the son that had wasted his life with reckless living had made a choice? See, the, the first couple stories we, we could think about, they're, they're, you know, the sheep, you know, a sheep is not necessarily thinking, just sort of gets lost by, a, you know, how a, a sheep gets lost and then the coin just falls off. But here somebody's making a choice to be distant from the father who's wasted their life on purpose. What is the father's attitude? What is God's attitude toward this person? Has compassion on him. Runs and kisses him. In other words, he's happy to see him. Are you going to be happy to see the people that are sitting in your favorite seat next Sunday? Are you going to be happy to see the people who are parked in your parking spot next Sunday? Or some other Sunday where a lot of people show up at church. Is this our attitude towards people or just are people just in the way? Are people just a problem for me? You know, here Jesus is telling us that God, God the Father, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the Son said to him, Father, I have sinned. So he's starting to, to do his practice speech. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They celebrated over people. They were excited about people. This is the story that Jesus is telling us about the heart and mind of God the Father. They were cel- the biggest celebration was about people. Thank God for answered prayers. But the purpose of you being in a relationship with God is not only to get your prayers answered, it is so that you can actually impact and love other people. Because here's the deal, church. If we don't love people, everything we do doesn't matter. We are really organized, but none of our organization will matter unless we love people. Our worship is really good, but unless we love people, it doesn't matter how good our worship is. The preaching is not bad, but it doesn't matter how good the preaching is unless we love people. We are here. To love people. We are brought into the family of God for the purpose of loving other people. Caring about people. Why? Because the story is telling us that in heaven there's a celebration when somebody comes home. When somebody comes home to God. Is this our heart? Do we celebrate? Are we excited about other people knowing God? Verse 25. Remember I said there was two sons? Now his older son was in the field. Now for those of us that have been in church a long time, potentially this could be us. I'm not 
accusing you of anything. I'm just saying potentially. His older son was in the field and he was whining and he was pouting. He was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and denting. Man, this was a real party. Verse 26, and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. So here we have the older son, the, the one who kept all of the rules and who's, who's done all of the proper things and who's been in church a long time. And he's irritated that there's a celebration for somebody who just showed up, someone who hasn't given any tithes and offerings, who's never served on a city team. And all of a sudden we're making a big deal about them. Yeah. That's what we're here for, people. That's why we're here. And he's out there in the field. And see, listen. The story is telling us that the older brother is also separated from God, but for a completely different reason. It is because his pride. This is what I'm saying. Potentially, our knowledge could just make us hard to other people. Potentially, the fact that we've heard a lot of preaching and we know about the promises of God and we know about church and we know about all of these things, the potential is there for us to become callous to people and just think it's all about us because this was his attitude. He's out there and he's whining and he's pouting. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. I'm here every Sunday and we're making a big deal about new people next week. I've been tithing for 24 years, Pastor Brent. And you're making a big deal about somebody who's going to take my parking spot? Yes. Because this is the attitude that God has. For the people in the story, the ones that are just coming home. I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat. But if you remember at the beginning of the story, he separated his living to both of the sons. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, the son of yours came and has devoured your property with the prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, this is what God says. Son, you are always with me. Son, you are always with me. Son, how did you get into the family? How did you get into the family of God? Is it because you kept all of the rules? Like this guy said, I never disobeyed. Oh, oh, easy. Salvation doesn't come because you kept all the rules. Salvation comes because you get born into the family. God says, son, I'm reminding you how you got in the family. It actually had nothing to do with you. It has to do with the gift of salvation that is available to all. That whosoever can come, this is the story of the gospel. And this is what we want. We want the whosoever's to show up next Sunday. And we want the whosoever's to take our parking spots. And we want the whosoever's to take our seats so that they can get close to God again because they are lost. 
And God wants them to be found and he wants all of heaven to rejoice. This is what God is after. This is what God is interested in. And it's not a this, it's a who. It's not a thing, it's a people. Is this our attitude? And if it isn't, let's let God break our hearts again. Because listen, people, we were once lost. We were once distant from God. We had no hope. That was us. And we're not in because we kept all the rules. And we're not in because we come to church every Sunday. And we're not in because we give our tithes and offerings. We are only in because of Jesus. And this is the message that we carry to the world. For the people that aren't here yet. For the people that have never given anything. Who've never served. This is why we exist. This is what... Jesus is teaching us in these parables that everybody, that everybody matters to God, that everybody is a somebody to God. Every lost person, God is out there searching after them, seeking after them. That's why I tell you, and it sounds like a joke, I'm like, invite somebody who doesn't go to church. Not interested in some person that's already saved that has a church, let them go to their church. But the person who doesn't, the person who doesn't know God, it's a great time to invite them. Son, verse 31, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this, your brother was dead And is alive, he was lost and is found. See, God invites all of us into salvation, and then he invites all of us into mission. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Salvation and mission go hand in hand. The reason that we are saved because God invites us into his mission and his mission is people. People are not an irritant. People are not a plague on the planet. People are the ones that Jesus came to die for. For God so loved the world. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.